Hey guys, and welcome back to the Skullcast for episode 86. I am your host, Walter. 86. 86, that's the right number this time. Last time I was off by one. I thought 86 was last time. <laughs> no, 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 no. But we're, we're getting up there. 86 is, is closer to 100 than we were last month. Actually, it's the same distance we were. We're getting closer to 100 is my point. And by episode 100, that's going to be a big one, right? It has to be. We're going to have to have like the holographic cover, the foil embossed, polybagged, <laughs> death of Walter edition of Skullcast. Don't open it. Keep that one in a locked box. Oh, the, the polybag does destroy it after six months. So, Damn it. Uh, you're kind of... Well, that's okay because episode 101... It's going to come in four variants, four different versions of Walter. <laughs> Cyborg Walter, Young Walter, Metal Walter, and Walter with sunglasses. I also heard you're going you're gonna to get your antimantium back in that one, so that'll That's be right. cool. That's right. You can get all four episodes, but in the end, the, the actual Walter will be none of those four. It'll be a totally different Walter. It'll just be you again. It'll be, it, no one yes. will care. No one will explain it. <laughs> we'll go back to normal. <laughs> I feel like you had to like have lived through the '90s in comic books to get, or in, in, and have like been subscribed to Wizard magazine in order to get that. <laughs> Are we experiencing the beginning of our gimmicks? Like you know, the website down, fatal attractions. You know, it's it's all. Over. Oh yeah, I, I shouldn't be joking about the death of Walter at this point. <laughs> yeah, I guess the death of SKNet is like right now. <laughs> well, yeah, this is actually a pretty uh, newsworthy time for us in, in the Berserk community. Um, not only do we have a new episode, episode 349 came out just this past week. In addition to that, uh, the date, which we already knew for volume 39, but the cover of volume 39 also came out and it's very cool. One of the first covers in, I want to say a good two or f- maybe even four years since I looked at that cover and said, yeah, I like yeah. that cover. Yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> and it also very, it's one of those rare ones where the cover like distinctly depicts the, what the actual content of the volume, which happens like one out of 20 times in a volume in general. Yeah. Because it actually is, you know, in Elfhelm, surrounded by different creatures, which is, you know, of course, where they are right now. So that anyway, it's cool. I like it. It's very surreal. It's not 100% intense gut, guts face. It's a little more nuanced and has a lot more going on in the cover than just a simple pose. So that's very cool. I like it a lot. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe next volume we'll have Casca on the cover. Oh, wow. Oh, don't tease. Oh, Casca with her arms crossed, looking <laughs> angry. Ready to kick some ass. <laughs> In addition to that, of course, the, the big news for this week is that there will be a Berserk novel coming out, co-written by Kentaro Mira. No, it's not co-written. It's not co-written. It's uh, like it's written by Makoto Fukami, which is a mm-hmm. guy who did, I guess, the adaptation of the scripts for the anime series. That's coming out Are now. Are the scripts good? No. And uh, <laughs> and Mira's just, uh, I think he's really just doing his illustrations, which we don't know if it's just the one on the cover or more, more than that. We don't know, but he, he's not uh, he's not the writer. I understand that he's not the writer. I'm guessing this Fukami guy is not just writing a fanfic. I'm assuming some of his ideas were probably influenced by Mira. I doubt Mira would give him authorization 100% to just do what he wants. That's why I said co-written. Well, we don't. We don't we don't know that. Is Mira's name not anywhere in the credits of that thing? He is, but Okay. Uh, what is it like uh George Lucas is on the Star Wars movies now? Sort of yeah, thing? Pretty much. I mean we don't know much. Like the most info we have right now is from that uh, Japanese website, 
uh, natalie.mu mm-hmm. and um well all it says is that it's written by makoto fukami and the illustrations are by kenter miura so yeah sure i mean i am guessing miura gave him pointers on some key parts of the story but we don't know much more than that i mean <laughs> he tried to call miura and miura was like fuck off and just hung up the phone and so you know <laughs> there you go <laughs> So yeah, we don't we don't really know much about that. Um, at first, we thought it might have been like could be an, a light novel because that's what people do a lot for tie-ins. You know, they'll adapt uh, a manga into anime, light novel, whatever, whatever game, or they'll adapt a light novel into manga, anime game. You know, it just goes around in one direction or the other. But actually, from what they say about it, uh, it seems to be a novelization. So. It's apparently going to be just a book, just a novel. So, you know, like a real novel, maybe, I don't know. When you say novelization, to me, that term means an adapta- a yep, direct adaptation exactly. of an existing work into a novel. Yep. But that is not what's happening here. Exactly. And that's, I mean, that's my that's my problem with it, basically, is that where is the story, had the story of Granville actually yeah. been told? And where is this to be an actual novelization? I mean, sure, I wouldn't, I still wouldn't be very happy about it, but at least it's just, you know, like, if you don't care about it, you don't have to read it. Like, the manga remains canon, and this is just something more that's just shitty, like, things they do for every movie and book out there, it's always like that. But uh, the problem here is we haven't actually seen uh, what the story is going to tell, which is uh, um, what's this backstory of Grunbelt. And so I've actually had several ideas about this. So I, I, I'm pretty, I'm pretty pissed about it in general because I don't think, to me, uh, if you look at it, in you know, in a certain way, it's Mira's uh, basically outsourcing uh, parts of the story to other writers and not very reputable ones. And this could be like the beginning of more and more of them. So nice Grunbells and Locus and Zods and Skull Knights and Boys and whatever. And obviously, that's not how I would like things to be done, you know, because I read Berserk personally. I don't know about you guys, but I read it for uh, you know, the storytelling, you know, like the art is great. Yeah. Of course, everybody loves the art. It's fucking great, but just great art. I don't read, you know, a manga for that. I read it for art and the storytelling. And to me, the storytelling is, you know, actually first, you know, in, in the reason I read it is uh, it's really great. So to have another guy write it, uh, yeah, it feels uh, not cool. But, you know, another idea I've had is that it might just be, and that would be pretty crazy, but it might actually just be based on, like, that one panel we that see. That panel, yeah. Yeah. That is our backstory mm-hmm. sure. so far, is one panel of him as, you know, human Grunbeld the Knight, you know, we're yep. defending that country. and But, you know, that yeah, that would be pretty crazy for them to just fly Well, that is it. what the description is on Natalie.mu yep. is, is that scenario, basically. So that's kind of what I expected anyway. Uh, it would have been weird, although uh, somewhat more agreeable, if it was from a slice of his life that wasn't so consequential. But the fact that it seems to be about his origin story seems to be over the line, in my opinion, in terms of well, how Miura lays out his story. It's weird because it's just it, you like you know it gives you a bad feeling no matter what. Because the only way to sort of prove that like you know he's not outsourcing the story would be for him to like oh you know a few volumes later it's like oh and here's the real Grunbeld orange story and it's totally different. But he's hmm. gonna at the same time probably feel it. It puts this pressure to conform to you know something that's been previously published, yeah. unless he's basically said. 
uh, I'm never going to do anything with that. I don't give a shit about that. You know, so go, you can go ahead. That's where, that's where, I mean, like there, there's, there's some things we can know about this, right? Like we know eventually this news release aside, he would have eventually gotten to the flashback of Grunbeld and Locus and Rakdos and all those in the way that he's always done, which is like half episode of a very condensed flashback story. And he's done those and I've loved them every single time. And it's not like those are like taking up a ton of space in the, in the manga series. You're going right? to have this so, dissonance of like, let's say we don't get that and Guts just cuts Grunbeld's, you know, in half, you know, or whatever. So that's what it, that's the question it raises. Hey, wait a minute. Did we, would, would, would this be how it played out anyway, or did he not do it because they've got that stupid book? There's always going to be that question now. It raises a lot of gross questions that I really didn't want to have to think about. Either Hakusensha wanted to do a book tie-in, and um, because they want, like, there's a, a merchandising push right now, a marketing push about Berserk, which may or may not be because of the change of executives at the company. It may just be something that had been decided because, like, it's their biggest franchise and they haven't been doing much with it for the past 15 years. So, and, you know, maybe it was like that. Maybe it was the guy, actually, uh, Fukami, you know, who came forward and asked for it. Either way, I think, you know, I don't think Mura would just be like, eh, whatever, I don't give a shit, and not tell the guy anything, and and just, like, let it be its own thing. In any case, he gave the guy some pointers, you know? So, told him, like, well, you know, not like that and like that, and, you know, Maybe uh, he dies like that and whatever, because he's probably sort of this thing already or not. <coughs> Either way, I think we will see something in the manga. Uh, whether it conforms or not, I mean, it's hard to say. If it's uh, in 10 years, things would have probably changed. If it's not, I don't know. But yeah, it's. I, I, I think it comes down to the fact that we first get the info of Grumble's life from that side product written by another guy and not from, you know, Mira in the manga. And that, to me, that's a big, a big departure and a, a big moment and in a, the series a life. Turn off too. Yeah, and and not a good one. And there's also another thing is that uh, nothing guarantees we're gonna get this book in English or any other language because you know, like it's you know these kinds of novelization things, uh, they're usually like uh, the size of an actual book, so it can be 400 pages. You know, like I I know there's some JoJo ones that's like. Uh, 750 pages so that kind of stuff I don't think Dark Horse is gonna you know translate that and release it in uh, uh, in the US so in this case well you know good luck uh, reading it so <laughs> yeah to, to go back to something you said earlier I just wanted to add to was that like I feel like what this has raised for me personally is you know one of the reasons I like Berserk so much and I think honestly one of like Berserk's like primary benefits uh, the way it's structured is it's both told and written and drawn. It has the singular artistic vision from one person. And yes, he has assistance, but Mira obviously is at the helm for every episode and has been for the past close to 30 years now. And this is a point where he's handing the reins to somebody else. And if it were somebody that maybe had a better reputation or someone we could uh, trust, maybe, yeah, someone is trustworthy, then it would feel a little better. But even that is like scary to me, but for it to be someone who I, the only thing I know of his is the anime and it was, it's fucking terrible. <laughs> uh, I don't, I don't, I don't know why I should have any faith in this whatsoever and not merely see it as a purely merchandising thing that yeah. all it was, all it's going to do is drag Berserk's mm. name further in the mud. And I'm not sure what anybody's getting out of this. And yeah. Uh, other than Hakusensha. From the standpoint of it's like, 
you know, it seems low stakes because it's like, okay, they, I think they picked Grunbeld because on the importance to marketability, you know, scale, he is a much cooler, you know, like, oh, he's a giant in dragon armor, you mm-hmm. know, and everything. But it's like, you know, it's not like, oh, yeah, we need a book about Grunbeld. You know, it's like, it's sort of like it's being done yeah. because we don't really need yeah, that, you know? Yeah. And at the same not time, really at the top of anyone's sort of, list, right? Yeah, you know, it's almost like smaller stakes, but at the same time, it's also like, why, you know, if we're going to have a Berserk book, it should be like a Skull Knight book written by Mira or, or a book about Guts, you know, like it's, it's So that's the weird. thing, yeah, yeah. like it, it, it raises a number of ways this could have been done successfully. And why, like, why is there a book about Grunbeld? <laughs> if such a thing had happened after the series was complete or after, at the very least, after the reveal itself had already been done in the manga, I would feel much less like, you know, against this whole prospect. Because, yeah, it's just expanding on what we already knew. But now that that reveal is going to happen in, like, two months from now, basically, uh, instead of it being naturally coming out in the story. And, of course, it raises the scare for me of, will Guy's Eric's story be told like uh, this? Yeah. Which, you know, guys, I don't even know how I, I don't – that's that's – that's too far for me. Personally. I would be pretty pissed, but yeah, let, let's not. I think let's not speculate too much. I mean, let's, I know. I uh, think we should assume the worst and panic right now. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, yeah, I understand. We don't know much it about. It raises this. a lot of concerns. It's troubling. Yeah, I've been I've been pretty pretty upset about it. I'm not gonna lie. Ever since ever since the news, because I immediately like, uh, you know, sort of. All the things uh, it implied, you know, the fact it could be just the first step of many and that kind of stuff. But at the same time, like it says, you know, it's being illustrated by Mura. Maybe it's just that old uh, artwork from the uh, trading card games that's going to be reused for the cover and and nothing else. You know, maybe there won't be any actual original illustrations inside the book. We don't know yet. So, you know, if it's like that, uh, we don't know what Mira's you know, uh, you know, participation actually was in the project, well, like how much he was involved. It's a catch twenty two. You almost want him to. You want him to either do the whole thing himself or not be involved at all. You yeah, know? it's like pretty the, much it's the partial involvement that uh... exactly because if he does, if he does uh, illustrate it, even just like two illustrations, then he legitimizes it. You know, he gives yeah. it legitimacy, and in this case. It means, like, it's implied he stands by it, and that's a whole other thing. So, I, honestly, I'm eager to know what he'll say about it. Because, you know, I remember for the PS2 game, he was like, ah, you know, like, the story in that game is just, basically, it's just for fun. You know, it's just, like, within the game, don't, you know, don't care too much mm-hmm. about it. Maybe it's the same thing here. Maybe he'll say, oh, well, it's uh, Fukami's interpretation of the, of the thing, and uh, maybe it will be different in the manga. I don't know. That would actually be a big... Uh, a relief. Yeah, a big relief. Miura will write in a Young Animal comment, there is a new Berserk novel. Mm-hmm. Please support it. Yeah. That is what he will say about yeah, the novel. Well- and also, Miura has contributed original art to almost every you know supportive release. Like the, the DVD Blu-ray box set has an original cover. Uh, movies, Blu-ray disc for all those had original covers. The season two, if you want to call it that, the new animation also has an original co- has original covers for both parts. So I think it's very uh, it's very likely that he will also contribute original art to this project. I don't yeah. see why he wouldn't. Well, we'll see. I'm not uh, I'm not sure. We already saw one, and it's an old one. Yeah. And it, well, that's what they had on hand. And if it's uh, well, I don't know. I mean, if it's a novelization, uh, it might just be that one artwork on the cover. I, honestly, I don't know. Maybe maybe he'll do a younger build. Maybe he'll do. Arts, you know, every chapter of the book or something. I have no idea, but uh, yeah. 
you know, I'm trying to hold myself back from speculating too much. You're basically, you're basically hoping though that they're almost like doing this against his wishes. I'm, I'm hoping uh, it doesn't matter. You know, what I, yeah. my wish is that this is just a thing that's done, and that I can never <laughs> read it and not lose anything. That's that's what I'm hoping for. Because yeah. if if I actually have to read it to know whatever bullshit Fukami cooked up, and that's gonna be canon. And be reflected in the mangas, and that that uh, that really bothers me a lot. Here's how it's going to work: it, the novel will come out in Japan June 23rd. People will wait a month, and then they will acquire it. We will get a poorly translated summary in bullet point format, and that is how word will spread, and we will learn of this character's backstory in Google translated <laughs> bullet points. Yes. That is how the new Berserk big reveal will happen. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And it will be forced upon us because someone will make a thread saying, here it is, guys, Grimbell's backstory. Well, I, I think I translated this right. You know, it's it's sad to say, but I actually probably will will buy the book myself. I mean, just... I'll buy it too, because I buy fucking well, everything. But. Well, you know, I didn't buy I didn't buy the new anime because it sucked so much. Oh, yeah, that's true. I didn't but, buy um, Well, I, I have a Crunchyroll subscription. I paid yeah, my money. I, did, I did subscribe to, to watch it, uh, to watch season one, because I'm not going to bother with season two, but... Yeah, um, yeah. Well, if there are know. illustrations in the book, I would definitely buy it for that. Yeah, but fuck, man. I mean, yeah. at the same time, we support something. Like, it's all donation, you know, because we buy it to get the stuff. Yeah. But then it's, they say, oh, it's a success. We should yeah, do more of this. Yeah, true. You're voting with your dollar to a certain extent. I uh, I bought the uh, new Berserk Musou game on Steam. And after about two hours, I attempted to get a refund from Steam. And they told me that I'd... <laughs> I had played it for too long. I had invested too much of my time, and I had I was stuck with it now. So all sixty dollars worth of that terrible game. And that's that is the only reason I'm playing it now. Yeah, uh, is to finish it. Here's another thing I'm not gonna bother buying. You know, at least until it's like two dollars. So that was a good trans- transition into the fact that uh, now that season two is underway, I think there are five episodes in. I'm personally two episodes behind right now. And reading the thread, people are saying that there is improved animation and improved pacing. Uh, I think a lot of these comments are, are being made not in a vacuum, but in relation to the prior season. We can basically say that it's safely now that season two is is king shit of Turd Mountain. <laughs> So, yeah. congratulations to the improved performance of the terrible series. That's great. Yeah, it's good to hear that it's improved. I if if the site was up right now, I'd want to take that picture you posted of Grunbeld from the anime. That really weird like <laughs> shot, and like that could be the cover of the Grunbeld story. You know, the Flame uh, Dragon Knight. <laughs> yeah, you know, actually, uh, seeing the reasons they made the the book about Grunbeld is because uh, you know the second season will end with the fight against him and that kind of stuff. Or at least that be near the end. You know, yeah, you're right. It'll probably come out right after. Yeah, it's uh, I, I made the you know I, I checked the calendar and uh, the book will come out like one or two weeks after the uh, last episode airs. So uh, yeah, I, I think that's why they did that. So it's. To me, it's clearly a tie-in. There's a you know business mindset to it, and not an artistic one, which is you know like even more more insulting. You know, oh, it's just yeah, to but make you a- kind of at the same time you kind of hope that's all it is. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, if it's to make a buck, and then Mira had to compromise on his artistic vision to serve that. You know, that's even worse. So yeah, yeah. I hope I hope it's just the the hope is that they that it's so purely financial that he actually isn't going to compromise and it's just sort of like yeah that doesn't really count 
whatever they did there, you know, that's that's fine. It is what it is, but it's not, you know, it's not canon like you were saying. Yeah, I could, I could actually see that. Like, I, I don't yeah. know if I'm just rationalizing it in my mind to, so that you know I can sleep at night. But I could see it just <laughs> being, well, you know, it's you know that guy's vision, and um, you know that's his version of the story. But uh, maybe mine will be different, you know, with a wink, and uh, maybe three years from now, whenever you know uh, it happens, we'll get to see as the actual story as told by Mira. And honestly, I'd take two pages of backstory from Mira over. 800 pages from that guy. Sure. And that's really all you need, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> I'll take yeah. I'll take no I'll take no pages over 800 pages from that guy. <laughs> yeah. About that? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. And yeah, like you said Grails, the thing is we don't even like uh, there was someone arguing in the, thr- uh, in the thread saying I'll be glad to read I like Grumble, I'll be glad to read about his backstory, but you know, I mean, yeah, it's not like his backstory was never set up to be some kind of huge thing like some kind of epic thing. It's like Ganishka, it's like all these guys, you know, I mean, they are great characters because they have backstories, even though they're just like lieutenants of the, you know, bad guy, whatever, they're not like some kind of main characters, but they've got yeah. death because of that. They, they don't need a, a whole other series, you know, about Sure, that. and it's like, and, look uh, back at uh, Isidro's backstory, which was like a page, and he's one of the, the main cast. Yeah, you see him running away from home. Ran away from home, that's it. So with Grunville, I feel like you don't even need more than a page really to express maybe where his character came from. So I'm not happy either, but I feel like I do genuinely want to believe that this is going to be supplementary and that the manga is going to be the manga and Mira. I don't think he's going to deviate for that from that vision since he's, you know, for the past 30 years uh, stuck to his guns, I think. And, and maybe I'm just being optimistic, yeah. but I want to mm. believe that the, this well won't come to anything. You know, I agree that's, with that's that's how it's always mm. been. So I think it's fair to give that benefit of the doubt until we see something to change yeah. it. You know, so that's that's a good yeah. way to you know relax and you know not necessarily like we're we're rationalizing it to ourselves, but that it's just hey, you know, the worst hasn't uh, hasn't come to pass right. yet. Yeah, I, I agree that uh, while we're worried, or at least I am. Yeah, we should. Uh, I I still give Mira the benefit of the doubt and. You know, like you were saying, Grail, uh, just to mm. go back to that, I think there's some, you know, value to leaving things to the reader's imagination. Uh, you know, like in all stories, including, you know, very, uh, you know, large ones like Berserk. And I think by not telling everything, you know, like, for example, Ganishka's stories, there's a lot of parts we don't know. And I, I, I didn't mind that because that gives you space to make up your own, you know, to fill the voice yourself. And uh, well, I think that's... Wait. I, what about a novel showing me what happened to Teresa after, uh, you know... Oh, boy. After, <laughs> Shit, actually, that would, have the, been fu- that would have been yeah. funny, but, you know, the problem is they're never going to adapt the Black Swordsman into, you know, anime, and then they're never so, going to care about no novelization. No anime so, you're right. With Teresa, yeah. Damn. And actually, I shouldn't be joking about like that. You can't McDonald's because... drink cup with it or oh. anything. <laughs> it makes me fucking sad to, to say these things. No. Oh. Well, like you said, the, the manga remains the manga, I and mean, that's yeah. never even been a consideration for me. Like, I, I, don't, I don't expect the series quality to drop. It's more a matter of the things that are having that are happening on the periphery and, and how much attention we as fans are supposed to be paying paying it. And, and you know what? What like I said earlier, what really crystallizes that whole perspective is what if they dip their toe into a part of the backstory right. that me I personally consider sacred 
suddenly like, it changes things Grunfeld, for me. You know? Yeah, he's so. like this perfect test case of like, he's not nobody. It's not like, you know, here's the backstory, the epic of, of Zepic, you know, like that we're going to do for yeah. you or anything. Oh, fuck, I'd buy that. <laughs> yeah, you know, but that, that would be something, you know, we'd actually be interested in as like a supplementary piece of BS, but that no one, you know, it has no like market value, like the casual Sure, well, fans. I mean, Whereas I, if they do I brought it up in the Skull Knight book. Then yeah, you're gonna we're gonna shit a brick either way, even if it's not. Yeah. Um, like I said in the thread, like if they were, if if the plan was merely to introduce a series of Berserk novels as support to the series, to introduce to Berserk to a different market and to just expand the merchandising thing, there are a number of characters that come to mind for me that they could write stories about that would be popular. Judo, for example, mm-hmm. is the first one that comes to mind. Yeah. yeah, huge backstory for him. That's already been hinted in the manga before a couple different but times. Yeah. Never they could touch easily on. have written that. Yeah. Yeah, they, 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 exactly. They won't step on the toes of the existing series or plans for the future. But they didn't. They chose a character that still has legs in the series. You yeah, know? he's still active. Yeah. You're right. It's the same. You know, we're back to what we were saying at the beginning is that a novelization, which is what this is being framed at, uh, should occur after the main thing has been told and not before. So, you know, yeah. I, I still, you know, I'm still intrigued and really wonder if this is gonna just be based on like that one one panel you know of just you know oh he was a guy defending a kingdom in the north you know and that's like the guy was like oh yeah sure i'll just i'll just make up a story for this or you know you could i'm surprised they didn't pick locus since he has even more backstory in that one episode where you know it's like he he fights in all the duels and all the warrior children know about him you know all the children of warriors have heard of him you know that sort of thing it's a much meatier. It's like part. equal space. Eh. I think he. But uh, yeah, I, I agree. There's there's some parts of Locus that I would absolutely want. I'm I, I'm sure Are I will eventually you learn want more. But a fucking novel about Locus now. No. What's going <laughs> no. on here? No. What's going on? We have a traitor in your midst. <laughs> Get him! I've already pre-ordered it. <laughs> Close the doors. Lock up the gate. Uh, but you're- no, really, what really happened is you mentioned Locust's backstory, and my mind went like, ding! Yeah. And I was yeah, like, sure. I got excited I all of a sudden. I'd also like so. to know Irvine's uh, you know, backstory in Rakshas and Zod and like every, every fucking character, man. You know where I was sure, sure. looking forward to reading those backstories? In the fucking Berserk manga! <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much, yeah. That's it. That, no, that's the spirit. Fuck. Mm. Yeah. I think we've well, squeezed about as much as we can out of this you know, two paragraph story at this point. So yeah, exactly. but be careful, Let's, but be careful pointing fingers and calling people traitors. Oh, you might have to call the great one, a traitor himself, you know, the, the creator yeah. of it all. <laughs> ah, damn. <sighs> Moving on to, uh, brighter news. Episode three forty nine is out. It is titled corridor of dreams. Of course we are taking, uh, our, Further steps into Casca's mental world. And uh, this one was over in a flash. Like, it was like, bam, it was done. Uh, one of the shorter episodes, uh, I think the brevity of it, uh, the perception of the brevity was heightened by the fact that the last four or five pages are just consecutive action. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, it, it made, everything feels very small. But that's just, I mean, really, we're only saying that because we have a whole episode to talk talk to. So, I mean... It was fucking good. It's going to be fine it's, once it's bound. It was a good – I'm not not trying to take away from the episode. Just saying it was, a, it was a shorter one. Yeah. 18 pages. Anyway, um, we're still not quite to um, any reconciliation of Casca. However, 
the purpose of this episode and the function of the storytelling, we have kind of seen how things will, it seems like how things will progress by retrieving the pieces of Casca's fragment. Uh, I wonder, I wonder who calls that. I think we all call. Fuck it. you! I did. <laughs> okay, we'll have to get check the tapes on that. One. It doesn't really matter, no, but yeah, yeah, like they're we, um, yeah, they're they're collecting different fragments of her, and as we said in the thread, it, I can't imagine as they progress that we're going to see every little bit based on the tiny fragment that was represented here. But there's probably going to be more scenes like this. Um, uh-huh. Some of them might be bigger than others, like or equal bigger pieces. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think. Uh, I mean, I'm pretty sure when you see the size of the of the part of the doll that uh, they put back, it's really tiny, actually. Yeah, surprisingly so, so. Yeah. Yes, yeah, there's gonna be dozens of these, and which makes. I mean, it makes sense. Like uh, someone might be. It might require a novel to tell this story. <laughs> I mean. oh, shut up! Come on, don't jinx it. Jesus <laughs> we're, Christ! We're going there. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Oh no! But I mean, I mean, uh, you know, it makes sense because uh, someone's personality is not going to be based on like four memories, you know. But yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah I think just mechanically because there's so many of these, uh, we're gonna see like a bunch of them. I think just as you know, uh, glimpses, while some uh, more important scenes from Farnes and Shuke's perspective will be told, uh, you know, uh, more lengthily. So, looking forward to know which are which. <clears throat> The other surprising thing about the way this part of the story was told was that the fidelity of it. You know, previous episode, we had very abstract representations of what was happening in her mind, how she perceived Guts as a dog, uh, the specters interpreted as these winged bats with spears, whereas this was a very literal, like literally like a, a fragment of her memory, you know, captured perfectly. And we got to see Guts from the bonfire dream scene, you know, rendered as Muir Winter's characters now, which was yeah. really amazing to see. Young, kind of happy guts, uh, which you know none of us have seen for many, many years at this point. With with all of his parts, he's right. Yeah, what I find interesting in which part of the scene Mira chose to focus on, uh, which mean which part was uh, you know most memorable to Casca, and uh, I was kind of blown away by that, by that choice specifically. So mm-hmm. <clears throat> the fact is when he makes fun of her and he says it's you know it starts by you know hearing her voice say bonfire of dreams. Because she's the one who comes up with the name after hearing Guts talk about it. And he just turns around and makes fun of her, saying, Oh, you know, you talk like a, you sound like a princess, you know, something a princess would say. It's a good natured make fun of, though. It's a, it's like playful, playful teasing. Yeah. Yeah, of course. You know? It's, it's exactly, it's playful teasing. And, Very you know, familiar. you can tell when you know Casca's, you know, backstory and everything, you can tell, you know, saying she sounds like a princess was probably not something she found displeasing. She's probably happy yeah. about that. And so, and yeah, and that part is like, that, that's a part, you know, the key part, the core part of the scene for her. And I just found that great, you know, it's, uh, and I'm actually really mm-hmm. looking forward to see more scenes like that, where you see her perspective, uh, you know, from scenes we saw from Gus's perspective before, like, for example, when he left, uh, you know, in the snow, you know, and she, she called after him. And of course, scenes we maybe didn't see before uh, from stuff we didn't know about. Uh, so yeah, I'm very excited uh, for yeah, that. Yeah, it's like a secret. It's not what you would imagine Casca holding on to, like that little joke scene. Like if you look at it in the original um, volume where it actually took place, it's just sort of just like a little extra kind of cute joke. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah, it's an aside where this changes the yeah, emphasis so, so much. I really love that. That yep. was so great. Yeah, same. It's not because, you know, like it could be, 
it's it could be really easy for him to just take like the biggest scene, the biggest panel, and just like not copy paste it but reproduce mm-hmm. it. But here he chose to emphasize some things that was not emphasized, you know, on the original, and I, I think that's yeah. just great. And you know. We were talking about backstories and stuff, and that's the way I like to see flashbacks and backstories in Berserk, you know, things that kind of integrated and very clever yeah. stuff, and things that, because Mura's so good at, with this, you know, he's, he's going to put this here, and then he's going to play a role later on or be referenced, and so it's all interlocked. Uh, that's, that's the way it's great, you know, that's how it's, it's done. That's why Berserk is uh, amazing. It's very heartening to see, because I think if you read what some less enthusiastic fans would say they, you know, say Nira's calling it in or doing all this stuff, but the little stuff like that shows that he still loves this character and he loves the story. And I think that's really encouraging when you read this. I've always been of the thought that the fact he took, you know, a lot of uh, breaks, you know, in the publication over these past few years was because his part of the story was really, really important and complicated to tell. And this part and what follows and after that. And, you know, I still think I can't imagine he hasn't put a lot, really a lot of thought into it. And I think so far from what we've seen from, you know, like the environment, you know, uh, from the dog and coffin allegory to the current situation, the little sprite inside the broken doll, everything. I think he's just, I mean, he's just fucking amazing so far, you know. Uh, who could have done better than that? So, you know, I mean, I... I doubt, I can't understand anyone who's not faithful when watching these episodes. I don't know about you guys, but uh, if, I'm, I'm fully in, you know? I'm all in. Oh, yeah. And I mean, just something you uh, you pointed out, you know, and I mean, it's something we were all thinking about. And going back to uh, the the game, you know, and how her line in the in the Berserk Dreamcast game about, you know, it was all a bad dream. And then we're, as you put it, you know, and we're seeing this dream all these years later. You know, we, it may not really be that, you know, connected, but it's a, I thought that was a really cool little uh, connection yeah. you made there. The way you put it where it was like, oh, well, yeah, it is like, for all we know, <laughs> he already kind of had this idea yeah. going all the way back to then, which would make sense because if you're going to, you know, have a character be incapacitated like that, you're naturally going to think of uh, the solution too. Yep. Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, uh, to be honest, I think, I, I do think he had already planned to have her trapped in a kind of, you know, bad dream, you know, all the way back then in, right. uh, in you know, 1999, you know, I mean, that's, that's a long, a long, long time ago. And, um, and yeah, and it's just, it's, it's just great. On the, one of the key pages of this, of this episode where, you know, Guts is delivering his smooth talker line. Um, there's a couple things that happen here that are interesting uh, in, in terms of how we move forward. So first of all, the fact that Farnese and Shirke are here experiencing, uh, seeing from Casca's perspective the scenes and also sensing her emotions from the scenes. Uh, there's something kind of, I don't know if unsettling is the right word, like voyeuristically mm-hmm. experiencing these scenes from Casca's life. It's, it's fine now. Uh, moving forward, I feel like it's going to be a little. You might be addressing the gorilla in the room, Walter. <laughs> it's going to get weird. <laughs> yeah, n- not even just that. Like, yes, the eclipse, like conveying those emotions and those sensations. That's going to be fun. Uh, just pleasant memories, like making love with guts. You know, yes, <laughs> like, exactly. That, that's and that's a very. Too. It's. I mean, I'm not sure how Mira is going to portray. If it'll be just like this, or if it'll be different. 
if it'll be like a bubble memory kind of thing that we saw from Shirke long ago, or if it'll be like this kind of full frontal yeah. kind of scenario. <laughs> I just think uh, it's it's set up for a little, uh, that was a personal moment. Let's not, yeah. you know, have no. the child in Farnese staring no, at Farnese it. Farnese be covering Shirke's yeah, eyes exactly. while, while she's staring. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why, why she watches herself, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know. Well, I really didn't know about this one. Yeah, but no. But I just mean more like here they're they're in the process of helping her. Yeah. But I think there's something just wrong about seeing these parts of her life, these private moments, kind it's of. A, well, like it's it's just know, a little strange. It's a Go violation ahead, in another sense, you know. Yeah, like even you know is. when she comes back, it's going to be weird because they're gonna they're gonna have this advantage over her that they're gonna know her you know, right. so well, you know, more than anyone should know anybody, you know, literally getting inside yep. their head and she won't really know them at all other than her memories, you know, from when she's mad, essentially. You know, I think, um, I think going back to what I said earlier about being faithful in what Mirth got planned. Uh, so as already said when she was opening the coffin uh, previously that she felt a bit, you know, like you said, you know, it's kind of boyeristic to do these things. And I think the very fact of entering, you know, the corridor of dreams, as is described, it's not something gentle, you know. It's like you force your way inside. So uh, yeah. they, they actually invaded the Casca's dream, you know. They, they are invaders here and they are disrupting the natural state of things, uh, which is, uh, you know, and I mean, the environment is against them, but that's something we can talk about later, but. So they're going against the grain here and they are invaders. Uh, but I don't think, like, I don't think it's going to be that bad about feeling uh, what Casca felt. I think, like, you know, the feeling it as it happened, I don't think it will necessarily uh, stay with them afterwards. And Is that, it more like, that they're, they're sensing it? Yeah, the se- yeah, I think they're sensing it like elves, you know, but I don't think, uh, you know, six months later, Fanazi will be like, ah, oh, I still remember when Gus made love to me at the waterfall. You know, I don't <laughs> think it's going to be. Oh, Shuriki will be like, <laughs> you know, I don't think, I don't think it's going to be like that. But yeah, it does give them uh, an unfair advantage over her. Or, however, I do think, and that's also something I've been talking about for a long time, that uh, when Casca comes back, it's going to completely change the group dynamic because the, that whole group only existed in the first place so that people could take care of Casca while Gus, you know, does, you know, what Gus does, which is, kill things <laughs> so now that she doesn't need to be taken care of uh first she's gonna have to find a role for herself she's gonna have to create new ration uh, ships uh it's gonna be competitive with guts uh, these guys are going to have to remap the ways they interact with each other yeah. the ways they interact with her and i think you know like farnese was close everybody says oh farnese is close to casca casca loves her stuff but yeah that's uh casca in her unwell state when she's back to being, you know, Casca, she won't be the Casca from Volume Five. You know, people need to understand that. But they're codependent right now, whereas uh, they won't be. Yeah, she'll still be like the Casca who led armies. You know, so she won't need someone to wash her or make her food, that kind of stuff. And Farnese, you know, the fact Farnese found, uh, uh, you know, new interest and in a new life for herself as a an apprentice magician, that kind of stuff. That's also been a preparation for what's com- coming next, which is uh, she won't have to protect Casca anymore. She's going into a new line of work. Yep. And in the same yeah. way that uh, her and Shuke's crush on Guts, you know, uh, I think all these things will come together uh, with what we're seeing here to create a new relationship with Casca. Well, they'll know her and she might reject them at first, but because they know what she went through, uh, they'll still be supportive. 
and they'll be like, come on, girl, we got you, you know, and uh, that kind of stuff. And I think that's yeah. how that's how they're gonna be able to surmount the difficulties that may arise at first, and they may even uh, actually take her side against guts, you know, when things need to be. And I think it's gonna create a lot of fun stuff, you know, like uh, you know. The way Casca, for example, can stand up to guts. No one, no one else can. You know, like Shuriken said, "No, guys, don't do it." He's like, "Don't worry about it," and he just goes. <laughs> and Casca would just be like, "You know, no, I said don't go," and she just, I don't know, stab him <laughs> or something. So that's you know, or yeah, or slap him or punch him in the balls. And anyways, that's a you know, so all these things will come together. And I think what they are experiencing now, uh, yeah, getting to know her. Against her wishes or something like that, will come to uh, play in a helpful way to recreate that group di- dynamic. It, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of possibilities. Like whatever experience there, that like whatever this results in as a shared experience when she's back, like where she could be grateful that they brought her back, or she could be resentful that they were in her head, or you know somehow sharing these sensations and memories can give them a you know kind of strange bond, you know. Yeah. I mean, it could go it could go a number of ways, and I think it was interesting what you said about how it's going to change the group dynamic, and how not only will there not be the necessity, but if Casca, you know, unless she if she doesn't feel sort of this bond and connection with everyone, she might, you know, she'll be kind of an outsider, you know, and won't necessarily yeah. or won't even she won't necessarily feel that whole family thing from them, you know. So she might not want much to do with the rest of them. At least, you know, she I don't think she'll be like impolite, but it's like they just don't mean that much to me. Yeah, and it's a way to, I think, just even accelerate, you know, that thing. Maybe maybe it would happen anyway uh, over the course of months and stuff, but, you know, that just, you know, allows it to go a little faster. Yeah, I think it's natural that she's going to have to establish herself within the group. Like, that's a, that's a, that's a given, right? And and by that by that sense, everyone, she'll be a stranger, right? I'm sure that's going to be addressed. In- unless, unless she's like, I, you know, I don't really care about this group. <laughs> that's, uh, I mean, I'm, you know, hmm. long-term... I don't think that's going to work, but it could be a, a conflict. That's just one of those things. Like when that comes up in conversation, I always think like, what's the more interesting possibility? Like her rejecting it and then like wanting to be completely introverted or her, you know, kind of even like maybe not willingly, not willingly initially. Yeah. Grudgingly. Yeah. Grudgingly. Yeah. Becoming part of the group for her own reasons. That's more interesting. Yeah, to me. exactly. And the same way it happened with guts and everything. And I think, I think it's going to be the way it goes because that, yeah, simply because that's, it's a more interesting thing. And another thing I wanted to say yeah. is Guts never told the group much about his past life and people keep expecting it. And even in this episode, he does tell Serpico and Roderick a bit about his life, but he's never going to say, so, you know, uh, at age five uh, with Gambino yeah. and then at age seven. So the snake apostle, let's start here. This is the logical start. Uh, then I was the in story. the woods and I see this chick yeah. and I just, I just bang her, you know, I'm like, yeah, fuck, <laughs> man. Wow, what the fuck? And then she's an apostle, but I knew it's... Listen, it was a weird part of my life. I knew it. You know, I was I was really down. I, I knew she was an apostle. You should have heard the line when I said, I trapped you, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, was, it was a hate fuck. So, yeah, I, I don't think, you know, mostly, I, I, he's never going to say this thing. So, uh, it also gives Shuriken and uh, Farnese a window into his life uh, and what happened, mm-hmm. you know, with the uh, Falcons and everything. Uh, but, you know, from Casca's perspective, which is not uninteresting to me it actually makes it more interesting that they see guts because you know it's one thing when guts say ah yeah well you know i just i just killed this guy and then i just did this casca was over there we did that and when they experience it from casca's perspective 
uh, yeah, I think it's just more interesting. And yeah, and so they can know stuff about Gus that he didn't tell them, you know, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's also good. That's actually part of what makes this episode very interesting to me is, as you said, we've always expected Guts to somehow convey his his past, or at least, you know, even like, you know, big picture, open up more to the group and share a little bit about his perceptions of, you know, of himself and his travels. And that's exactly what happens here on one side of the story. On the other side, a different group is getting a different perception of Guts and his past, you know, so at the same time. Even just the perspective he could add on world events, you know, that he just doesn't, yeah. he chooses not to open up about, you know, I mean, they kind of uh, have ideas, you know, like uh, Shirke knows he was branded by uh, by Griffith and so does uh, Farnese, but it's not something he tells them about and sort of, you know, yeah, here's, I'm sort of connected very much to the these world changing events, but I don't really like to acknowledge it. Yeah, even even when uh, you know he was asked by the you know masters of the magicians uh, in a film uh, about about this uh, about Griffiths and that kind of stuff, you could tell he was like he was even reluctant to say about it, and he could have you know when they they talk about transformation of the world that kind of stuff, he's still the one who knows the God Hand the best, you know, among all of them. He's seen them up close. He's been in their fucking lair, you know, in that Asherian thing. But yeah, he's not going to say, oh, by the way, guys, I need to brief you right now about this thing. And these yeah. guys are there and they did that. And maybe we should do He's like, just, yeah, I know I came here for one thing. And like, I don't, I don't care about you guys. I don't need your help. He's very reserved. You know, he's very uh, introverted, I guess. He, he keeps all to himself. Like you said, you know, he's uh, even these great magicians. He's like he's interacted with and fought the things they've only read about. Yeah. They certainly presume that. And, and who, who in that group would have had two encounters with a full group of the God Hand? Like, you maybe, know, nobody. Maybe get for them back in the day, you know. Oh, yeah, Shit. I know these guys once they were young. <laughs> no. I went to church with Ubik. <laughs> Ubik was actually a former student of mine. He went bad. <laughs> no, but yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I think while he's come a long way in uh, opening up to people and being more, you know, cooperative, taking things also say seriously and not just ignoring them. Uh, yeah, he's still very introverted to me. So yeah, one thing about the boys versus girls aspect is I found it very, it mirrors real life, you know. There's a party going on. And the boys are hanging out back and the girls are, you know, doing, you know, things between themselves. It's kind of, I don't know, it almost feels like a, you know, a high school thing, you know, it's it just... Like a wallflower. I, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's pretty cool. No, I get, I get what you're saying. Like, like what was actually funny to me was the fact that the, the, the men's moment, it seems like Roderick makes that happen. It's not like Serpico and Guts are going to have this casual heart to heart. Like Roderick kind of makes it happen yeah, with alcohol. I, I, I don't know. I mean, Serpico was a willing participant. I think... Yeah. yeah, sure he was, but they've never talked before. They've traveled all this all this time. I mean, I just don't want to not give Sepulchre credit for getting along with it. And uh, oh well, he he opened up before very much, but it was also with the caveat. Yeah, that's why I'm trying to murder you right <laughs> yeah. now. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. he pretty much. It was the same story, but you know, except this time it was. Now we're going to say it over drinks instead of yeah. swords. Yeah, remember that time I tried to kill you? Well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Which one? Yeah, I, was, I was having trouble adjusting to the changes in my sister, you know, so, but now I'm better. Yeah. Sepiko's <laughs> also been very secretive about his, you know, uh, ambitions, desires, you know, his relationship with Farnese. I mean, I think a lot of them have stuff to walk through. And um, that scene between, you know, the three of them, especially Guts and Serpico uh, opening up, uh, was uh, really pretty, pretty cool to see. Yeah, something that hasn't happened uh, ever 
really, between those characters. Uh, Serpico has been a closed book, a real, uh, honestly, a closed book since since his introduction. Uh, he doesn't even open up to to his sister, of course. So for him to be so honest about his, you know, how he feels about things was, was a first, and honestly, long awaited because that character has 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 said so little about circumstances for yeah, so he's long. Yeah, he's uh, stayed in the background for, for a while. I mean, ever since mm-hmm. he got to uh, Britannis, he's been kind of uh, hanging out back. I think he's still searching himself, to be honest. I think he's, uh, since Farnese is coming to a horn, she doesn't need him as much, and uh, I think he's become aimless, and uh, her thumb will be, and Skellig in general will be as a place for him to find new things to do, like a new direction, a new goal, something. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see. Whenever I begin summarizing this episode for the purposes of the podcast, I, of course, jump straight to the meat, but we did get the long-awaited banquet that we'd seen back in the guidebook. So uh, the final preview panels have now been shown to us, which is, you know, everyone celebrating an elf helm. And we see that there are fireworks going across the island, which is really cool. And you see, you know, everyone kind of celebrating. Roderick's men are joining in, dancing with uh, elves, or it looks like wood nymphs. Who, who knows? What I like, though, is that everyone kind of has their own way of celebrating, and the dwarves have drums. I don't know what to call them. The centaur-like people have a horn, or... Satyrs. Yes, thank you. Uh, satyrs have those. Pan flutes, I think. That's what we call these in France. Pan flutes. And, you know, the elves are bouncing <laughs> yeah. on yeah. mushrooms. The living mushrooms. These guys are real stars in every episode now. <laughs> yeah. It also mm-hmm. kind of reminds me of that uh, that two-page spread that uh, the Bosch-inspired... Uh, Ubik world, you know, especially those three guys <laughs> sort of in the bottom uh, left yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> Dancing by. Yeah. Garden of Earthly Delights. You know, yeah. I, I really like that Miraz. It's like he's decided to include every kind of type of elf from the more uh, anthropomorphic elves, are more well known because of Tolkien, to the really weird ass guys from like the most folklorish possible thing ever that just don't look like anything. They're almost like cartoon characters. I realize that he's just really mingles mm-hmm. all these guys in Hell Films that really makes it feel like the capital of Elms, which it is. As we go further, we see how everyone else is kind of celebrating. Um, I particularly like um, the drunk Isma or partially <laughs> drunk tipsy Isma showing off her mar- marrow power. She's like flashing, you know, basically, <laughs> you know, yeah. the, the crowd. I like that she's learned uh, how to use it, like, because, you know, the first time she, it's like yeah. she, it came, you know, with her mother in the midst of danger. But now she's like, hey, look at this guy. <laughs> yeah. I love the faces <laughs> of the little guy there. It's also funny that you can see that it's like basically knocked her yeah. bloomers oh, off. Yeah. <laughs> He's staring yeah. at <laughs> Right. And that's what the guy is staring yeah. at. He's like, wow. And, you know, <laughs> I, I like the two uh, the two guys at the back who tries to lure her in the cauldron, you know, saying, oh, you know, <laughs> yeah. Why did you come take a bath? That's great. I like the two different attitudes, too. You've got the one, you know, that really is putting on the sweet look, and then the other one looks evil, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think they're both going for the evil, you know, scene. Oh, yeah, they too. both have bad intentions. Yeah. I love that, yeah, the lighting on that as well. <laughs> yeah, really kind of sinister. <laughs> you know, it, uh, it, these guys are still magicians, witches, that kind of stuff. So, yeah, you still got to be careful around them, you know? They're, they're not here for no reason, you know? <laughs> but what a rare delicacy to eat a mirror. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, maybe they just want to make a, a portion or something, you know? Well, <laughs> I think it's basically like a seafood joke. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, she's just that she yeah, would be yeah, delicious, yeah, you know? But uh, also, yeah. this is a random one, but I do like that the boy staring at her underwear looks a little bit like Ralph Wiggum. So that's a personal. <laughs> <laughs> I'll choo choo you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, 
going back to what you said about uh, the kind of chaotic ways it seems, you know, I, I do like that the elders comment on this, that the fact that yeah, there can't be a party without elves going just, you know, insane and just fucking everything up. It just, you know, because it kind of reinforces the fact that their nature is chaotic. So they just, you know, they're just crazy wild parties. That's just the way they live, you know? Yeah. The funny contrast here between the kind of like go all out crazy elves and these, you know, very uniformed magic users who all look very reserved and very shocked at the, you know, outlandish tales and the crazy things that are happening around them. And of course, Azan, you know, enjoying his time with the dwarves still has his yeah, goddamn yeah. helmet on. He's wearing regular clothes, but he's got the helmet. <laughs> it would be strange if it wasn't. Yeah, he will not remove the goddamn helmet. Yeah, well, yeah, it's yeah. also funny that the guy next to him looks exactly like him, you know, it's like, I think that's where he's just like, oh, you're not half bad, you know, and it's like, <laughs> yeah, because it's, it's basically you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and everyone's drinking too, except for those who are on duty, you know, Magnifico's yeah, oh, not yeah. drinking, but Asidra looks a little tipsy, and Isma's obviously tipsy, and Azan's got a drink in his hand, so everyone's I enjoying like the it. I little, like the little cleaning guys, basically, they're even cleaning Magnifico's face, you know, as he's carrying yeah. dishes. Yeah, so. yeah. So just really into the cleaning scene. Yeah, and just happy. <laughs> while Puck is just, you know, being crushed by his, you know, fat brethren, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> and and yeah, I, I like you know I like how Isidro. Of course, he's showing off to these guys who are actually impressed by his bullshit. Except tales. for the mushrooms. But uh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, the mushrooms are not amused. He looks like he's about to fall fall down and just set something yeah. on fire, which is you know. Oh, sorry, I actually cut your uh, face off. Well, I think it's like the third time he's boasted about using that like combo move. Like it, in my head, it's some it's happened before yeah, yeah. multiple times where he's resting just like, on his laurels. There, he's so proud of this. <laughs> like, yeah, he's. I mean, he's just he's feeding for the character. Yeah, yeah of course. And then I and then I scored four touchdowns in one game. You know, is yeah. basically his Al yeah. Bundy story here. Bang the prom yeah. queen. Guess what? I was for the count, and I saved the day as usual. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then we go over to Guts, who is, of course, all by himself, which brings to mind many scenes of him by himself, even with in the Falcons, people bringing drinks to him. Yeah. And I like the resonance, too, you know, of Judo inviting him to that back to the party or Pippin asking him to drink, you know. And yeah. Of course, it's not the exact same scenario, but it brings it to yeah, mind. Him staying far away, and he's actually uh, pretty damn far away. Yeah, he's really far away. Yeah, you can see the lights in the distance on the horizon there. But obviously, it's not just that he's sullen or anything here. He's, he's yeah. preoccupied. He's His mind's... He can't take part in the festivities because he's not in a happy place right now. You know, now. He's, uh, he's kind of stuck somewhere between, you know, what's going on, you know, in both uh, these yeah. events. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's actually even what the Sovereign of the Flowerstone told him, which is like he can't enjoy the party in this case. He can't, like, he wants... You know, Casca to be cured right now as soon as possible. And yeah, and she was right. He can't. And uh, I, I like the, yeah. you know, the cherry blossoms here. We see falling everywhere and his face with them in the background. I, I find, I think it's very poetic almost. That, you know, solitary look, looking at the, the cherry mm-hmm. tree and, you know, waiting and hoping and being afraid and anxious. Mm-hmm. It's romantic. It's, yeah. you know, he's, it's appropriately grave for the magnitude of the event taking place, considering yeah. that... This is like his uh, his life's work, almost, you know? Yeah. yeah. what it became. This has his, been his goal. Yep. Mm. 
I, I know we, we fawn over individual panels a lot of times, but there's something about that shot of Guts by himself sitting on the stump with Serpico and Roderick in the foreground. It just looks so sad, man, just sitting yeah. in the dark, contemplating, you know, what's to come or, you know, being anxious over everything. But yeah, it's a very mournful scene. But yeah. Quickly changes moods, though, when these guys come and They're all sitting basically. Cross legs. Yeah, I mean, I really, I really enjoy that top panel on the page, you know, sort of where they've all got their drinks in their hands and, yeah. you know. It really does look like friends. Yeah. Just three bros broing out over some brewskis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like it a lot. Like this, I've said this many times since we started recording this podcast, but this kind of scene, obviously Amira cannot overplay this card, you know, but I feel like I've needed it. I've wanted it for so long since they got on the boat or the ship, excuse me. It's been so long. We got to thank Roderick for sort of being the the facilitator of something like this, because you know, as we said, Serpico and Guts are so naturally reserved about you know, like yep. you, you know, we only get their thoughts by literally getting the thoughts inside their heads and being able <laughs> yeah. to see them. They never actually give voice to it, so it's uh, it's only because I think he, you know, this is natural to him, where it's like, well, yeah, let's all sit around and have drinks and talk, and they're like, oh, okay, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so they kind of are, they're going to try this. And I also like that throughout, they comment on, wow, we're being really open. It must be the alcoholic. They're joking about it, but it's playing a role and it's not playing a role because, you know, they are being Roderick's earnest. Roderick's the only one that's really drunk. Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> yeah. I think the only one who's really feeling the alcohol is Roderick. These guys are just like, you know, they're opening up and because they're kind of shy and being, you know, yeah. like guys are, you know, they just don't want to say, ah, yeah, I yeah. really love you, man. <laughs> you know, so it's like, yeah, you know, you're not so bad yourself. And they're playing it off like it's the alcohol, but they are being open and honest, yeah. Yeah, and then Roderick's fucking drunk, which is a very Mura kind of humor thing. It's not much, but I do like the the long, thin, horizontal panels of flashbacks we get from Guts, particularly because it seems like there's a kind of progression to it. Of course. The kind of a two-dimensional plane that he uses here. I like that a lot. Yeah, there was uh, – it shows him as one and then two and then the whole group. And, yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's very – I mean, that's a – most possibly succinct way to summarize Berserk. You know, it's like yeah. Black Solomon versus is is you know Snake Apostle, which is I mean it's pretty fucking cool that he chooses that, that one. You know, I mean, I don't know. I just I like that guy and I like that It's iconic, yeah. I get yeah, it. he's great. And then we get to see volume twenty three, we you know Casca and you know, he could have chosen any other one, but it's her being tied on a leash, you know, and, and being guts. Uh, dragged. Yeah. Well, I think that's another nice thing it shows that things are becoming progressively more more peaceful and serene too for him you know yep. so that uh you know it's showing sort of a life progression here that's also improving yep of course so yeah yeah great um i agree great panel one thing i'd like to add is that uh those two upper panels were of situations or scenarios that where guts was really not very proud of himself i think like yeah yep indeed yeah so it's it is interesting that he chose that so the structure of it is basically, yeah, nothing made sense, nothing worked until he found the group dynamic is, is the kind of the argument right. here. I mean, that's a simplified form of what he's saying, but the group was required to bring him here. I, I think he really does, like you said, uh, like Griffith said, it shows a progression of his character, not just of the story, but of his mentality, his personality and everything. And yeah, he went from being in a really bad place where he was kind of su- su- suicidal and you just, you know, I mean... Like he said, uh, just fighting randomly, not really caring. And then Casca and he couldn't take it anymore. And then the group and 
like almost miraculously he managed to actually get get here you know and that's that's what he's saying you know that because of these guys thanks to these guys he managed to do it and he actually mm-hmm. thanks Serpico on the next page which is like <laughs> Serpico's like wow I didn't expect it you know it's kind of like when Puck uh, tells him Gus is never he's not a polite kind of guy you know he doesn't speak even to Flora he, he didn't speak very politely so to have him say thank you to anyone is like wow what's going on <laughs> It reminds me of when Puck senses that sensation of guts when he sets out on his journey protect, to protect Casca. He's like, who knew this kind of feeling could come from someone yep. like guts? Yeah. <clears throat> because, because, but, um, but both Serpico, both Serpico and guts kind of come to the same conclusion among different ways, which is that, you know, having someone to protect and not just going on your own selfish life, you know, puts you on the path to maturity because he acknowledges guts acknowledges that he has grown over time because of that. And Serpico acknowledges growth in Farnese because of her having responsibility. Well, and for it's Casca. also the same, uh, you know, having to eventually let go of that person a little bit too, and sort of trust others. <clears throat> right. Yep. What I wanted to say is that uh, they also feel like that about Gus because they didn't know him before, you know, uh, because uh, it's also a testament to how much the eclipse uh, impacted him. True. Yeah, and that's actually what is so interesting to me about. The version of guts that they see, uh, that Farnese yep. sees, you know, untouched by the eclipse, untouched by you know the malice that that event created in his life. Uh, yeah, I see, and I think the contrast is not uh, in a, co- a coincidence. You know, uh, the, the fact they say, "Oh, I never, I didn't know you could be like that," and then uh, you know, for, meanwhile, Farnese and Shiruke see her, him when he was much more lighthearted. You know, and, and that's like, wow, that's the guts I never knew. You know, mm-hmm. so that's uh, pretty cool. Yeah, and it's even it's, it's of course it's nostalgic for readers too, you know, to to see that particularly that moment and the light the lighthearted moment of guts that is just it seems it feels so distant, it feels so yeah. long ago that we had that that kind of guts. Just who, wait until you know, they see like romantic guts, you know, like whispering sweet nothings mm-hmm. to Casca and saying, "Come with me on my journeys." They're gonna swoon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they've got they've got yeah. their various crushes <laughs> on him, so. They're in the front row seat to get uh, their cr- all their crushes' best <laughs> moments. The highlight, here. yeah. I think what I'm waiting for actually is uh, for them to see when Casca was uh, the one who did romantic and heroic stuff, like you know, running when he was you know uh, being held by Wild and she ran, you know, tried to save him. Of course, mm. got herself in trouble, but you know, all these moments. I- I'm re- really looking forward uh, to them seeing that if they do. On the flip side, they, I mean, you would think that part of the, I mean, a major part of who she is now anyway, and the way she's broken, is her mistrust of Guts. And so we could very well also maybe have a flash of uh, when he was possessed by uh, evil spirits or when he, you know, sort of lost control of himself uh, <clears throat> to the beast, although they wouldn't see that. And just, you know, it would be interesting, you know, basically what happened right before they, before he accepted them into his life mm-hmm. and why. You know, I actually I wonder about that because yeah, that one is kind of uh, questionable. I wonder if that'll be included or not. Yeah, I I think the memories they need to fix the doll is uh, from before the eclipse right. because she was broken during the eclipse. But at the same time, you know, um, I think this that might play you know come to play a role uh, later on. You know, after she she wakes up, definitely the representation of. The world, as she sees, is, uh, you know, uh, taken from 
the real world she experienced with Gus, you know, with the dog, you know, carrying the coffin. And I think I'm not sure we're going to get more of it than that for now. Right. But uh, he'll, he'll come to play a role later on, I believe. So I have a question in relation to uh, some of the stuff you guys were just talking about, like Farnese and Shirke's little crushes on guts. Do you think that going through this with Casca's memories and everything will kind of intensify or, or temper those feelings? I think it'll temper it, I think, eventually, because they're going to see that, uh, you know, he's he's right. spoken for, right. in a sense. And that, you know, he doesn't, you know, I think it'll crystallize the fact that, like, he doesn't feel that way about yeah. them. And he's, yeah. You know, I, I think Shrook has already made a peace with it. Uh, yeah. I think uh, that time on the ship where she put her back to the door yeah, and she was like, true. at least, at least I, I've got a relationship with him that no one else will ever have. I think that's when she made, she was okay with it. And she still got like, ah, but, you know, I think she's still, uh, she, she's already, I mean, she, I think her character's already gone in another direction. Well, and she's also, she's a kid and she's smart and self-aware enough to know right. that too. Yeah, indeed. So, so uh, Farnese is the one that's got, she's got the blinders on, you know, and, uh, but even Farnese, she already, you know, it's what I, I argued with a guy way back then <laughs> about that. Farnese is already, she already knows. She's known for a long time, you know, she was t- talking to her mother about it. She knew this whole time, you know, guys, she just doesn't want to admit it. But deep down, she already knows. And I think seeing that will be another big step to her realizing that, you know, I mean, she's not, you know, feeling what Casca felt, seeing what Guts did, seeing what they went through. And I think maybe if Guts and Casca have trouble at first, after she wakes up, Farnese might be the one to say, you know, now could be the time for me to try to get in there. But, you know, it's not my place. And she might come and go to Casca and say, you know, I really, really wish he was into me. I really would like to have him for myself, but yeah, it's not like, it's not going to happen. He wants you and only you. And you should actually, you know, maybe think about it because that's, you know, how it's meant to be. So I, I think that process, you know, I think it's a long process. I don't think coming out of the dream, she'll be like, eh, you know, forget it. But I think it will be another big step in that direction. You know, there are been a series of steps, and I think it's going to be another big one. And after that, of course, we'll begin Farnese's journey to maybe finding her own guy. And then Roderick will be waiting. He'll you know. have the drinks in his hand and be like, hey, baby. <laughs> yeah, what's up? <laughs> one thing I've thought about over the past few months, uh, it, it seemed to come it seemed to come on the periphery of me accepting it. And now it seems like pretty solid uh, after our discussions over the past few years about Farnese and her her feelings for guts and how those play into this current, you know, role she's in with Casca was, you know, there's been a lot of talk about, Ooh, maybe she'll sabotage it. But like, to she's me, it's like, use the Behirit man. And, yeah. you know, <laughs> out, yeah. of, out of rage. The whole reason Mira has placed her feelings in this, 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 this moment, this like critical moment I feel is to increase the drama of it. When she realizes that even though she has these feelings for guts, it, it's not right for her to do that. And it'll make the moment more bittersweet for her to finally accept that. And pass it to Casca, and like you say, maybe even convince Casca of it. Because for for her to do it because of her feelings makes it that yeah. much more emotional uh, for readers and for herself. And there's also another aspect, which is the fact, you know, it's not like guts. He's hangs on to Casca because there's no one else. You know, he could have had someone else, but he doesn't. He's not interested, and that also reinforces the fact. You know, I mean, it's also another argument. It's not like he's been, you know. Uh, clinging to a woman, you know, that's been, you know, 
uh, you know, figuratively dead for years, you know, he's clinging to her and but not because he can't have anything else, but because he doesn't, he's not going to let go because he's loyal and faithful. Well, I mean, and, he does meet those apostles in the woods, apparently, for, uh, well, for the hate you box. know, yeah, but <laughs> there's, you know, I, I have a really long explanation for that. Uh, <laughs> but it's it not, was all that trap. Let's not go into that. You know, how about his, you know, well, psychological, you know. I think, uh, you should sign up a novelization deal with Accenture. No, no. I could novelize the fuck out of that. <laughs> so don't pages. tempt me. Don't tempt me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I could. I can well, I can make it right. I can make it work. I do like the idea that she's sort of a unique person in a unique position to facilitate, uh, you know, sort of help any static there might be between them by, you know, letting Casca know as only she does, sort of how much Casca means to Guts and how genuine yeah. that is and how right. she felt that pressure, you know? Just yeah. that, you know, like it wasn't just that, you know, the others, they, they know it, they see it, you know, but it's like she really, you know, as on an emotional level knows how important it is and just the trust that he's put in her and how important that is. So she's in a in a good place to, to communicate that to Casca yeah. if she doesn't see it, you know, when she comes back. There's or has another- questions. I think there's also another aspect, which is, uh, Farnley is a, you know, she, it's kind of like how Casca was with Griffiths back in the day, in that uh, Guts, he helped her, uh, you know, ch- he changed her outlook on life. He helped her get out of a bad place. And so she's she's got this crush on him. And she's, you know, like Serpico says uh, here, she's fascinated by him. She's, a, you know, like, he's not obsessed, but she's fascinated. And so this is kind of mix between uh idolizing him and having a crush on him because she's a woman he's a guy you know um and but at the same time it's also like if you maybe the pure feeling at the heart of this is not romantic in nature but it's you know um how to say how do you say when you admire someone yeah i mean admiration maybe maybe at the core of it she does it's not love it's admiration because he's a a role model, someone she looks up to, someone who shows her, showed her uh, what she could do, what she could be, that like she could stand on her own. You know, she could, you know, be not afraid of the world and you know, be strong and by understanding things. And you know, someone she aspires to be like, and uh, aspires to, you know, uh, respect and have him. I think it can be both. I think that's certainly a part of it. You know, her fascination yeah. with guts isn't just the fact that he's a big brawny dude. There have been physical moments with them where she'll lean on him and have like sure. you know a, a red cheek moment kind of thing. But certainly at the core of their relationship is the fact that he was able to basically destroy her faith, you know, and and show her yeah. a new way of life. And I feel like she transferred any physical feelings she might have had and kind of like plastered it on top of that other part. Yeah, of that exactly. That's what I'm saying. And my point is that after that romantic side is taken away. Uh, you know, maybe it will be, uh, how to say, uh, healthier, you know, her relationship. She'll be like, all mm-hmm. right, like she's okay, you know, all right, he's a guy, I, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to be his girlfriend, but he's a guy I really like, I admire, and he respects me, and he trusts me, and we, we've got this relationship going on, and it's a strong relationship, and, you know, like there's no ambiguity. Um, and so I think, yeah, I think, you know, my point is that the relationship will not be lo- uh, lessened uh, by the fact she's not, you know, she hasn't got this crush anymore. I think it's going to be actually reinforced sure. and made purer and, you know, healthier, stronger. 
Yeah. And I, and I think the whole process will cause Farnese to grow as a person sure. as well, like accepting that and moving on and then with her life, you know, and not fixating so much on guts for this relationship that she, she knows that she can never have. We'll make yeah, grow sure. She's, a it's a continuation of a growth. She actually, I mean, yeah. the growth of Farnese in Berserk, that's something you could write a book about. It's the past half of the series, like volume yep. 15 on. Don't uh, don't give them any ideas though about making it into a book. So you know. Yeah. Well, I, I actually, I didn't make. I didn't mean a fictionalized book. I, me- I meant more like something about analyzing. You know, like nonfiction. Right. Because uh, it's uh, you know, I mean, guts started in a bad place and went better, but his guts, you know, like he's you know, he's a hero. And Farnese was really, really not a good person, and she didn't have much going for her. And she really got a big progress, you know, like the progression is huge. So that's, that's really, a, you know, that's what makes it a bigger progression in a way. I'm going to ask that we close the Farnese book for now because we still have a lot to cover in the short amount yep. of time that we have. Um, we transition away from the, the scene around Elfhelm to Back to the Dream with Guts yet again remembering Skull Knight's words to him about how her desire might not coincide with your desire. It's the second time in the past four or five volumes that we've yes. seen that. Actually, even less than that. Thirty-seven was the last one, uh, but it's been pretty, pretty, pretty uh, heavy-handed with that reminder about that. So the moment is coming. I feel like Mira's not doing that. He's not casting that out in the void. He's not doing it to make guts moody. I feel like that's that. The culminating moment for that feels like it's at hand to me. It's either because there's this is definitely going to be a big disagreement, or it's just to show guts worry. As yeah, I think I, as I, pointed out. Yeah, I, I agree with Griffiths. I, I actually think it uh, it reflects on guts' uh, state of mind, you know, and I think that like it does. Yeah, it does at most of all. He's worried. He's worried. Sure. I don't, what we're saying is not at odds. Like, yes, Mir is showing it in the context of making Guts worried, but also he's reminding readers of that as well. And, and thus it plays yeah, a part sure, in Yeah, sure. But um, like, I don't think the main purpose of it is to remind readers because it's been done not long ago. Uh, I, I think it's to show um, the state of mind Guts is in, uh, how far he's come as far as maturity goes. And yeah, how worried. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's out there. He was sitting on that thing and uh, on that, uh, you know, uh, tree trump, and they came and they had drinks and they laughed a bit. But even, you know, all that being said and done, while Serpico is uh, making fun of Roderick, he's sinking back to what the Skull Knight said and he's worried about what's going to come and, you know, whether, you know, they'll get along and everything like that. So, you see, you know, it's always been a kind of a vague warning, which we don't really understand what it means beyond just what she wishes for may not be what she wishes for. But uh, I think what it really means is that, you know, they might not, uh, how to say, uh, be able to resume their relationships, that kind of thing. And I think that's kind of what he's uh, worried about. Sure. Uh, Azil, you said something in the thread that uh, that really was very interesting to me. And honestly, I've not considered it from this aspect is the wind is pushing against them. They are in Casca's dream. <laughs> The, the, which you know, even even the specters are figments mm. of her you know memory and her imagination, and it, it it brings to light something that you said, which is basically that the environment itself is against this restoration process. And if if the restoration process, oh, sorry, Farnese and Shirake are agents of change here, trying to restore Casca's mind, but it sure seems like the odds are against them, and something's pushing against them having you know, successfully doing yeah. that. So, no, I, I was gonna go say, ahead. you know, it's um, it's very interesting to me because. When we saw uh, the coffin and the dog, and the dog is, you know, some kind of figure of 
styrofoil speech for guts and that kind of thing. But when you think more about it, they're in Casca's dream. So everything is fashioned by Casca's mind. Everything is as Casca sees it. And, uh, you know, and, you know, actually the Skull Knight's warning here is also relevant. The whole environment is a manifestation of Casca's uh, uh, reluctance to be cured. You know, like her mind broke. You know, the doll is broken. The only thing left is a little sprite. Uh, we know that the wind could, you know, carry it off, everything. The dog is fighting these enemies to protect the thing, the sprite, because if they get to it, if they manage to destroy it, then Casca will die. She'll be gone. So another way to uh, view it is that the dog, which is a kind of a guts ver- dream version, whatever, it's it, uh, it embodies uh, Casca's will to fight, you know, her will to live. Uh, and the sprite is the only thing left of her. And, you know, and so this small thing, this is dog, you know, pitifully carrying a coffin and this little sprite are all that's left of Casca. And that's the only part of her that wants to live. And it's faced against this huge environment that's like a desolate plain uh, with monsters attacking them relentlessly. And that's the part of her that doesn't want to get cured. And I think... Uh, as they go on and uh, gather more memories, uh, the stakes are gonna, you know, rise and get higher and higher. And uh, yeah, they're gonna be facing, um, you know, really the fact she, you know, a big part of her does not want to get better. And uh, that's also echoes right. what the Scarlet said because his words can also be taken as why Gus wants her back and everything, you know, yeah. uh, get normal. Maybe she, she, she doesn't want. She's uh, she's not mm-hmm. she's not normal for a reason, you know. Like maybe if uh, if that's what her mind wanted and what she wanted, it would already be the case. Right, and that this this whole ritual is kind of a defense, or they're having to work against what's basically her defensive mechanism of not being reassembled. So the fact the episode's title "Corridor of Rim" is not uh, again, it's not a coincidence. You know, I mean, I think it shows that the process is uh, it's like Dan and tools, and they have to find and fix, you know, the problem. Uh, but it's not it's not something that's necessarily going to be easy. It's not necessarily done uh, in accordance to her wishes. So uh, it goes back to what we were saying mm-hmm. earlier. They are invaders. They are, you know, taking things and viewing things and doing things that they're not necessarily, you know, uh, supposed to do. You know, like the floor petals going against the wind, uh, you know, bringing them to things. And then they act upon, you know, what they see, the memories, they change things. It's they're messing with someone's mind without her permission. So it might also be something that uh, when she comes back, she might be ag- uh, maybe not aggressive about, but uh, not happy about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we've already discussed quite a bit, uh, you know, the vision that they see of guts. I do like how it transmutes from a fire to the vision, you know, it kind of emanates this vision of guts through the, the, the flames. And then after the vision is done, it kind of, you know, the flames dissipate and then it, it was the fragment all along that caused that. I like that idea. Of the fragment as being the source of the vision, and they move the fragment back mm. to the coffin, kind of. Yeah, well, it's a, it's. A, I think it's a, you know again we're in a dream, so everything is figurative. So they get this very small bonfire, and they come, and Faris is not really sure. She she just wants to warm her hands. She's guessing something's odd. Then they see the memory appear. They listen to it, and then it, poof, it transforms into that little fragment. Uh, I think it's very like it's very dreamlike, and. Um, I expect we'll get to mm-hmm. see more 
more of this kind of stuff where they come upon an object, they don't know what it is, then it takes on, you know, they have to uh, decode, decrypt, you know, understand. And it's, it's really, I, I like that process, you know. The fact yeah. they have to really, mm-hmm. they're like some kind of archaeologists uh, having to find and understand things. Very interesting. It's like CSI. Dream, DSI. <laughs> uh, and there's, uh, of course, the whole funny thing of the dog knowing what to do. He wants to get in the coffin. They move the, co- they open the coffin and, you know, the, fra- the fragment of Casca, uh, the sprite is very excited to see Farnese, but then the dog <laughs> puts its ugly head in there and it's, it's scared off the sprite, yeah. you know, she runs away. Yeah, a little comedic moment. But yeah, actually the fact the dog is the one who knows what to do, the fragment, and mm-hmm. he's yeah. like, he's pawing at the coffin saying, open it, open it. So I think that reinforces the idea that the dog is actually a representation of Casca's you know, so part of her is that wants to get better. You know, that's that dogged, you know, resolution thing, which is shaped against guts in a funny way. Because uh, if you had to ask Casca, you know, what uh, determines person who will keep struggling and never give up and go against, mm. who would it be? Well, it would be guts, you know, so that makes sense to me. Well, it's uh, what I also like about yeah. it is just how, you know, for not being a direct participant himself, how heavily involved Guts is in uh, in all of this, you know? I mean, it's <laughs> like you it allows uh, Mira to have it both ways. We can see Guts' perspective from the outside, you know, worrying about this sort of like the uh, you know, the the nervous father to be uh, in I the waiting room kind of a thing. Yeah. And uh, and at the same time, you know, we see, we basically, in my mind, you know, I see the dog with uh, Shirke and Farnese, you know, looking at the fire, trying to figure out, it's like, it's like Guts is there helping them as if he had gone, but this is a Guts that has more, you know, represents what Casca wants and also knows what to do like he wouldn't, you know? Yeah. So it's, uh, it's, it's very interesting the way he's constructed this. Yeah. And, you know, um, I think it's also nice to see as a reader and a fan of the series that. I mean, Casca is hugely important to Guts, you know, like every time Guts uses the Berserk Samor, the reason he comes back is Casca, you know, that's that's why he fights, that's why he's still alive and not dead fighting apostles, that's why he's here. So to see that uh, inside Casca's mind, Guts is also so central, you know, so important, as important to her as she is to him, uh, that's, you know, I mean, that warms my heart, even though the circumstances here are kind of grim. Yeah. It gives a little bit of hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It kind of sets the scene for, as we discussed, how things will move forward or how it sort of seems like things will move forward, them collecting the fragments, which we talked about in the last podcast. Is It, it, it would make sense if that were the case, and it, it seems to be the case. But yeah. on top of that, it seems like they're going to have to defend against these attacks. But uh, Shirke comes up with a very uh, interesting, funny way to deal with it, which is these miniaturized versions of the Golem and the Blaze Wheel. That she has that we saw earlier on. You know, I like that. Well, I like that the dog actually barks every time the thing, you know, come. It's the dogs that warns them. But yeah, it's funny because yeah. she's like that kind of in a, in a in a pickle, you know, trying to find, and then she sees these things, and she's like, Ugh, because you know, she remembers like how embarrassed she was when giant monkey Isidro, you know, crushed her <laughs> toys, but then. But then, you know, like, she takes heart and think, you know, I can use this, maybe because it's in a dream, I can, like, act upon it, and which is kind of, a, you know, uh, I mean, it's kind of a fantasy of people, you know, like, that in that dream, you know, they can be, you can turn a toy into a giant robot or whatever, and, and yeah, and then she turns <laughs> them into, like, super-powered versions of themselves, which is, like, <laughs> that double page is pretty fucking cool to me, I mean, 
I, I, I like that old Gollum, you know. I, I'd like to see that one get a rematch with Grendel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, Master Gollum. And yeah, they they work together to fight against the Spectre Bat. Yeah, the things. weird demons. And that's the episode. And we're back at the end of May. So another uh, monthly release. Yep. And still, tan- uh, still a tantalizing ending because we still are progressing into the unknown for exactly what will happen uh, with, with how Cask yeah. is going to be restored. The whole, all the resolution. There's still well, a lot of episodes. Up in the air. Do you think it would take for this dream thing to be resolved? Oh, three oh, or four. At least I think three, and maybe more. Yeah, I agree. I was thinking four, four, four or five myself. Yeah. yeah. Five was uh, sort of the big number I thought of, and three was like the minimum. Yeah. Before this episode, I would have said three more. But now that this episode had a very incremental progress, I would say four, mm. maybe. But uh, it, it yeah. could be yeah, anything. I think, uh, I mean, the thing is, I think the, like, the actual resolution when they find the thing and she comes back. And so I think that's going to, you know, Mira's going to take his time with that. You know, even that alone could take two episodes for winner. Yeah. Well, and it's also, I mean, we don't know how many parts, you know, like the circumstances and the scenes could sort of change, you know, the landscape could change, you know, like you said, once they're done assembling the doll, there might be another step and another step, you know, and then, yep. of course, her revival in uh, in the yep. real world. So, you know, it's hard to even decide, you know, to decide what the parameters of this continuing is. I mean, mm. it could go on for volumes and, you know, still be interesting and change and pivot yeah. and interesting ways yeah indeed but Bira is generally he generally goes on a pretty fast pace right uh particularly recently i feel like everything's been very condensed and very but uh, but then he but then he teases us by making the piece of the doll <laughs> like a an inch <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well hey look we we fixed a part of it great <laughs> you know i i think he i think he's always done that he goes fast in some parts and slow in some others and um yeah, I think he, I think I'm, I'm not. I don't think we're gonna rush through here. Um, yeah. So, and I didn't this think is, we. This is I what he was we, rushing to. He wanted to get to this part, you know. That's yeah. what he was in a hurry to get to. Hmm. Yeah, I, yeah, because I, sure. I don't think like That's you why know, he some took peop- twenty years. Yeah, uh, you know, some people felt like may, I don't know. It went uh, too fast between them landing and getting to uh, the magician's village. It was pretty fast. Yeah, it was fast. But, but I but mean, when it's you kinda... go back, it's still like you know. I feel like every step, you know, think of it like a staircase. I don't feel like they skipped a step or anything. You know, it's just it was. Uh, you know, they're not draw dragging it out either. Yeah, it's just. I mean, we could have we could have yeah. seen I don't know like uh, three double pages of sceneries, and instead we got some small panels. But it's kind of like you know in Ritanis when. Uh, you know, they kill the Makara and then they just walk two pages and then, you know, there's like 10 others. Yeah, I mean, there could be two more pages and I've argued for that before. <laughs> but at the same time, does it really matter? Are these really missed? Nah, not, nah, I mean, not really, you know. Yeah, it could be better. It could always be, you know, I, I could always do with more artwork by Mura, you know, for everything. But uh, I wasn't bothered by the, the pace. Uh, there's one last thing I wanted to talk about, and that is, uh, I think in the previous podcast we talked about, you know, Berserk is a series where Guts has to kill things, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he hasn't had to kill anything for a while, uh, and 
I wonder, uh, I don't really think so, but do you feel like there is an opening for action to happen on the other yes, side of the story? Um, I, I do think it's possible. Uh, you, you, you've got guts, okay. like there's a party going on. Guts is alone, oh, so man. he's... Oh, yeah, what if, yeah. uh, you know, well, I mean, I've thrown it out there, the idea, the apostle attack, you know, on the island, you yeah. know, takes place <laughs> right when they're trying to... Re- they're so close to reviving her, and, you know, the Zod is coming. <laughs> like, no, Grunbeld's coming. Yeah, the flame. Yeah, Dragon I mean, Knight. Uh, yeah, I said so in, in the thread, and I was, I mean, I was half joking, but, you know, there was a bit of truth yeah. in there in that, you know, it's in uh, two months, and uh, maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe Grunbeld could come to the, you know, like, hey, land. Hey, look, and- everyone, it's the Flame Dragon <laughs> Knight. Uh-oh, he's, he's, a, he's very <laughs> prominent and attacking the island. <laughs> nah, but... I do think, I honestly, I do think it would be a bit quick. Uh, I, I think there'll be uh, an outside incentive, uh, which might be an attack or anything like that. I mean, that's nothing really new. I, I think there's going to be something motivating them to leave the island. Well, there's um, a... But yeah, I see. And because of the time, you know, like the way the time flows, they could spend uh, like, I don't know, two weeks and then something comes and it's like, oh, it's been three years since he last saw each other. And that, that'll be pretty cool. But, you know, like... They've just arrived, so that would be... I, I feel that would be a bit early, on, to be honest. But uh, I, I do think the fact that he's a, away from the group, uh, Serpico's joined him with Roderick, you know, that could be Roderick, go warn them, and, you know, the two of them, uh, Guts and Serpico, fight something, you know, in the forest, uh, while, you know, Shuriki and Farnese are fighting something in the dream. It would be a nice parallel. At the same time, there's already action going on in the dream, uh, yeah. The next, the next four episodes could just be full dream on action. Fine That's by me. That's actually what I thought uh, your question was going to be, Walter. If you just thought it was going to, you know, how ex- well, how extended these dream fights were going to be as part of, you know, keeping the 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 berserk action going in berserk, while they also uh, take care of Casca. I just feel like the action quote is met by this side of the story, the dream side of the story. And I, yeah. I don't personally feel, and it's just a feeling. I don't have any evidence. I just don't feel like yeah. action is warranted on the other side it of the story as well. But you know, uh, who knows? It almost feels perfunctory in the sense that, you know, like, Shirke literally had the answer in her pocket, you know, and was just able to throw it out. They don't seem yep. like they're that much of a challenge, no matter, you know, even if... Oh, yeah. They're, they're sitting they're sitting placidly yeah, watching even if, the like, action. It, it'll the only be, page. like, at the end when, like, 10,000 of these things show up that you go, like, uh-oh, you know, but... uh but it would be interesting. Yeah. It's interesting just to think about the uh, the the symmetry and the poetry or jazz, if you will, of the series uh, when, when these yeah <laughs> jazz. it's like jazz really uh, when when these major events happen. You know whether it's the ceremony for Femto, whether it or the incarnation, or again with like when they're fleeing of Ritanis for the final time. There there you usually don't get to have this moment where everybody talks right then or they sit around a campfire you know like oh casca's revived and now we're all gonna sit and meet each other and she's you know it's gonna be awkward blah blah usually they end up fleeing yeah when something like this happens so that that makes me wonder like is if there is going to be something where it's like you know grab her and we got to get the hell out of here same thing with flora's you know you don't get to have that debriefing that's so tidy so that's been over and over again that's been something that's happened so i wonder if that'll hold true yeah you know i actually had a talk with gobo atulaz the other time where he was telling me uh how do you think uh casca and gus you know what it be resolved and whatever and i was telling him you know, even if uh, let's not imagine there's a you know an attack right now, but she's uh, restored and 
she doesn't really feel like, you know, she doesn't see eye to eye with Guts, but something happens, an attack happens, and she's got no choice. She didn't want to join, but she's got no choice. And then as they fight, as they do, as they escape, as they, you know, travel and journey, and they didn't get along, but they got no choice, they got to work together, then, oh. you know, it, it gets solved, and she remembers. If they end up back to back, surrounded by apostles, <laughs> yeah, we'll all just we'll all start oh. crying. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, so I cool. mean, it's that kind of it's that kind of stuff where you know, again, grudgingly, you get to you know know these people and trust them, and like, yeah, maybe they're not so bad, and maybe in the end, like after it could be like because the process of Casca and guts, and I, I, I know I feel bad saying so, but the more interesting prospect is for Casca and guts to. Um, fall in love again and get CI to A again over uh, many, many volumes, you know, as they yeah. travel and, you know, they don't see I to A. And, and in the end, mm-hmm. they refine each other again, right? Really, literally right before the end. Yeah. So, and I think, I think that could- Certainly. Mm-hmm. I mean, it has to be yeah. earned in some way, I think, you know? Yeah, it can't just happen. Yeah, there's a lot of room for re- repair beyond this. I think that could be the case. It could be uh, some things that's going to be, that's going to take a while. And like you said- not just be oh hi hey how are you doing and maybe we'll, maybe we'll get to see that but I think uh, things will precipitate uh, them walking together yeah. and talking again and that kind of stuff. Well, that works in a way. It mirrors how they first got together, so it'd be nice. Yep. Yep. Nice way Indeed. to do it. Yeah. Next up, Charlotte helping them sneak into Falconia. Yeah, of course. <laughs> That's, that'd be that'd be funny, but you know, to go back to guts and Serpico being like you know sitting away from stuff, it's also a good opportunity for a Scully friend to show up or other kind of things. Like it's not necessary. There could be action, you know, uh, air quotes here, uh, without mm-hmm. there being you know I don't know an apostle attack in the middle of the night out of nowhere or anything like that. It could be Grun- yeah. uh, Grunbeld the flame dragon shows up and is unceremoniously killed by the island uh, inhabitants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's just killed by some elf, you know, like the trees and, in the forest yeah. eat him. And then they say, oh, he was never that interesting anyway. <laughs> you know, we could also get to see something like he has a Skull Knight showing up or another yeah. thing. I mean, I mean, it's, it's an opportunity for something to happen. Uh, would it be an attack? Maybe. But yeah, it could be something else entirely. So, or maybe even nothing at all. We'll see. I, I really want Grinbell to attack only for him to be tied to the ground like in Gulliver's Travels. <laughs> just like, just can't move. By the elves. <laughs> that is, that is a way they would, that would be appropriate for the elves to deal with him that way too. <laughs> well, that's it for this episode, guys. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back in a month to talk about episode 350 of Berserk. Ooh.